So today is the second part of our vision series teaching. Last week we saw our senior pastor, Pastor Folkerts, uh, give the vision for the church. And this week, um, the title of the teaching is Choosing to Follow Jesus. We'll be in Mark, first chapter, verse 16, and we'll get there in a minute. But I want to talk to you guys real quick. I got this plant. This is a lemon tree. Actually, it says it's a Myers lemon tree. I heard that's pretty good, right? Well, my wonderful wife went out and bought this for me. And you know how you can tell that she bought it? Because if I would have bought it and brought it in, this is how you would have saw it. Okay? She put it in this nice little pot so it would look real pretty for everybody. But I have a question for you. If I gave you this fruit tree and I told you, if you keep this alive... For one year, and I'd give you a billion dollars, would you change anything in your life? (laughs) Answers everything, right? We would change everything in our lives to keep this thing alive, would we not? You would organize your whole life around that tree. You would make sure your family is organizing their life around that tree as well to make sure that that tree continues to grow and it continues to flourish. You would be very intentional and you would discipline yourself to make sure that you're watering it, that you're feeding it, that you're pruning it so it grows, right? Well, our spiritual lives are the same way. We have to look at our spiritual lives in the same way. We have to take care of them. And I know this sounds a little cliche, but, you know, we've been giving something that is way more valuable than a billion dollars, haven't we? We've all been giving this, and that's we've all been given an invitation to walk with Jesus. Each and every one of us have been given an invitation to walk with Jesus each and every day. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark, the first chapter, verse 16. And it says this, and this is Jesus calling his first disciples because this teaching is about discipleship. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, it's important for us to understand a few things, and I want to give you a bit of first century Jewish history. You know, Jesus was called a rabbi. He was known as a rabbi. And each rabbi or teacher had disciples that followed them. They lived with them, and it was an incredible honor for them to be called to walk with these rabbis. This invitation was offered to them, and they had unlimited access to the rabbi. And that's for us, as we're called to walk with Jesus, we have unlimited access to them, to him. Not only did it give them complete access to ask the teacher these probing questions, but it also gave them a chance to live alongside of them, experience firsthand how the scriptures should be lived out. They learned from the rabbis, and they were trained to become rabbis. 
And this is the kind of relationship that Jesus invites the disciples to experience. He wants us to walk alongside of him to become like him, to be his disciples. So when Jesus invited Simon and Andrew and James and John to follow him, they would understand exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he said. He wasn't just saying, hey, let's take a walk. Or let's just take a hike. No, they knew exactly what was going on. What Jesus was saying was, I want you to be with me. I want you to learn the way I do things. I want you to live the way that I live. I want you to adopt the way of life that I live. I'm going to train you to be on mission with me. Becoming a disciple required an unwavering commitment. It was choosing to follow Jesus. And what did they do? What did the scripture say? They followed immediately. They left everything and followed Jesus immediately. But it also meant that every day was full of opportunities to learn new things about God. Jesus was going to teach them as they walked to learn about God. In John 8.31, it says this, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus, as our Lord, will teach us and help us grow, and we will experience true freedom and victory. For us, following Jesus means recognizing him for who he really is. And who he is is he's our Messiah, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, and he's the Son of God. So today, we're going to be talking about discipleship. Discipleship is one of the most amazing invitations in all the world. It's a great invitation for all of us. It's an invitation for us to walk with Jesus. So I'm going to give you an outline of what I'm going to talk about. It's kind of, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about, and then I'm going to talk about it, and then at the end I'm going to tell you what I talked about. Okay? <laughs> That's how this is going to go down. But the first thing it goes, it's always been God's plan to dwell with his people. From the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end of maps, excuse me, the revelations. A lot of you, the end of your books are maps. But it's always been his desire to walk with his people. So then we're going to talk, what is discipleship? And then the last thing is, how do we follow Jesus? And we're going to introduce to you seven disciplines that will help you walk with Jesus. So the first thing in the outline is simply this. It's always been God's plan to dwell with his people. It's always been his plan to dwell with his people. And I want you to know why here at Calvary Chapel we're so passionate about discipleship. It isn't because we were bored with the book of John and we didn't know what to do and we wanted to take a break. And we didn't have anything to teach about, so we just thought we'd teach about discipleship. No, it's because we're convinced that throughout the Bible, the Bible talks from Genesis to Revelation that God wanted to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And he does. By choosing to follow Jesus, we become part of Christ's body. And as part of the body, we all serve a purpose within that body. We all serve a purpose within the body. And each one of us has unique gifts to help the church accomplish its mission, to advance the kingdom of God. As we each discover our unique place within the body, the church is built up and it's equipped by all of us. Now we're going to do something that's a little bit fun, probably a little nerdy maybe, 
I've been called that every now and then, among other things. So just let you know that. But we're going to take a super quick look through the Bible. We're going to go from Genesis through Revelation. And we're going to look at why it's always been God's plan to be with us. And you see, sometimes when you think about the word discipleship, when we think about that word, we start thinking about discipleship. There, there has to be something I need to do for that, right? I, should I start reading my Bible more? Should I pray more? I have to do something, right? We have to do something. We aren't sharing this teaching about discipleship because we need you to fill more time in your busy schedules. That's not what we're doing. We're doing it because the primary theme of the Bible, of the scriptures, is that God wants to dwell with us. God wants to be with us. And this is the thing. God is way more committed to us than we are to him. Amen? He is so faithful to us even when we're not. God loves us more than we love him. Way before we ever pursued God, he was pursuing each and every one of us. Remember, he sent his son to die for us. For God so loved the world. And if you're here right now and you feel far away from God, and I know there's some people that do, I want you to know that God's chasing after you right now. His love is chasing after you. He loves you so much, and he has a plan for each and every one of our lives, and he's excited to invite you to walk with him. This invitation to walk with him. So I'm going to give you a quick overview of the scriptures, and we're going to look at Genesis. In Genesis, God dwelled with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.8, it says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool the day. God walked with them in the garden. He was there. He meant to dwell with his people. And then we all know what happened next, right? Sin. And it separated us from God. And then in Exodus, God, God dwelled with his people through the tabernacles, right? We were learning that on Wednesday nights. And then 1 Kings through Chronicles, God dwelt with his people in the temples, God wanted to have a place where he could be with his people. The temple and the tabernacle serve as a dwelling place for God's presence. The presence of God among his people. This was a portable earthly dwelling place of Yahweh, the God of Israel. His presence among his people. Relating to them in this gracious covenant of love. And love is without doubt the most central and important theme within the Bible. God loves us. Each and every one of us. And then in the Gospels, Matthew for John, Emmanuel, God is with us. The truth is that God has always been with us. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. Speaking of God, the psalmist David wrote this in Psalm 139.7. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You know, God is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's a promise in the Bible. And I want you to claim that promise today that God is always with us and he loves us. And then in Acts, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us. We are his temple. He lives inside of us. He is with us right now. And then in Revelations, when we get called home, we know we'll dwell in the house of the Lord for eternity and we will be with God. So a couple points I want you to take from this is first is 
God always wanted to dwell with his people, but sin separated us from God. And we can follow Jesus because of the gospel and the Holy Spirit for what Jesus did for each one of us and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us allows us to follow him. And God is more committed to us than we are to him. Amen. You know, when I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, you think about that fruit in the tree. It wasn't about the fruit in the tree. It was about the pear on the ground, right? The pear on the ground, that sin that they did that separated us from God. Think of how nice that was. It says the cool of the day that God was walking through that garden. The other day after that storm, was it not cool? It was beautiful, wasn't it? Imagine walking with God in the coolness of that garden until sin separated us from that. But God loves us so much. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us more than we love him by far. So I got a question. What is discipleship? What is discipleship? Discipleship is one of those words that we throw around a lot at church, right? What about fellowship? Do you guys, you ever hear that? Fellowship, discipleship, it's kind of one of those words that people use. And sometimes I don't think that people really understand what that is. So we're going to try to make that clear today, exactly what that is. Even if I asked a bunch of different pastors, they would probably come up with different definitions of what it means. We always looked at it as a disciple was a lifelong learner under discipline, right? That's what we always looked at it as. But when we think back to the story of Jesus inviting Peter and John and James and Andrew to follow him, they spent every day together. They learned from him. They walked with him and they saw him do miracles. They did it. They did it together. All of them. They didn't do it by themselves. They were not alone. So the definition of a disciple, what we think it should be, is simply this. A disciple is someone dedicated to following Jesus together with other disciples. Doing it together with other people. Other Christ followers doing it together. You know, when it comes to following somebody, you know, when you think about following, you wouldn't just blindly follow somebody, would you? You would want to follow somebody that you at least know and that knows you. It's not just about the knowledge that we have in our heads, but we want to learn. We want to make sure that we're doing life together with them. We have a relationship. In Philippians 2, 7, it says this, but emptied himself, this is Jesus, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And I like the idea that Jesus is becoming a, a human. He's fully God and he's fully man, but he is God, and he's a servant. And he came to be man so that we could trust him. And I like the fact that he healed people and that he cared deeply about each and every one of us. That matters so much, doesn't it? Because people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And Jesus cares about each and every one of us. So when I understood that the decision to follow Jesus was actually him rescuing me, he is my Savior. He was saving me because I was being held hostage to sin in this lost world. And Jesus was rescuing me from that. 
You know, in some hostage situations, I've heard it said, you know, that I've heard stories about there's hostage situations and sometimes that the hostages don't want to leave their captors because there's a fear of being released because they don't know what's there. They don't trust them. And sometimes that's where we can get caught up in the world, right? We get comfortable with the world. I'm good with this. I don't want to leave. We don't want to leave that. So when someone's rescuing a hostage, they don't want to leave because of the fear of what's on the other side. And I think the world holds us hostage to that because they don't know that someone cares. In Matthew 9, 36, this is Jesus when he was going into Jerusalem. It says this, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you ever feel harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd in this world? Where we feel like we're left alone? You know, when I made a decision to follow Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, I knew that I needed to decide whether or not I would follow him. And I had to make that decision on who he was. So I had to ask myself this question. Is Jesus the son of God? Yes, he is. And I'm being held captive in a world run by Satan, a world filled with brokenness. And do I believe that Jesus can rescue me from this condition? And I said, I do. I believe that. And I think of Jesus as my rescuer becoming alongside of me, crouching down next to me in my brokenness, showing compassion as he puts his arm around me and he says, follow me. Come out of the darkness and into the light. Come out of this life of brokenness and sin and come live a life that's full to the abundance. In John 10, 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's who our Lord is. He's coming to give us life. He's taken us and rescuing us. And we have to make a choice at that time whether or not we're going to follow him, whether or not we're going to receive him into our lives. And I want you to know something very important. When they decided to follow Jesus, they left their nets, they left their families, they left his dad in the boat with somebody else and just left him. See you, dad, I'm out of here. But they left to follow Jesus. It's like going to work and you get off at 5 o'clock, but at 3.30, I'm out of here. I leave my computer on, leave my desk a mess, and I'm just leaving. Everything's still going. Or dropping off a Zoom link. All of a sudden, you're there. Next thing, you're gone. Where did they go? They left to follow Jesus. Or what about your barista that's making your coffee, right? Standing there. Next thing you know, they're gone. Where's my coffee? They left to follow Jesus. And when you think of follow today... Sometimes we think of social media, right? I'm not real big on social media where that Snapchat, Twitter, whatever all that stuff is. I'm not big on that. I do follow my grandkids on Facebook because I like to see what stupid stuff they're doing. (laughs) And they're doing some stupid stuff. But I do follow them and I like that. But the rest of the people that I see, I follow them, I'm just going to be honest, they kind of annoy me. 
They do. It, it annoys me when I see this. But when Jesus says, follow me, he didn't mean to casually consider my opinions or my thoughts. But he meant to be intentional and count the cost of what it means to follow me, to walk with me daily. And we have to count that cost, don't we? There's a cost to following Jesus. In Mark 8, 34, it says, Then he called the crowds to him alongside with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You know, it's kind of like this fruit tree, right? We have to be intentional. We have to be disciplined when it comes to following Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me daily, he's saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Everything I am, I surrender to you. It's not my way, but it's your way to take up my cross, your will being done. You know, when Jesus was in the garden and he was getting ready to go to the cross, he cried out to his father and he said, Father, if there's another way, can this be done, right? And if there's another way, please do it. And what did God say? Take up your cross. My will be done. So daily, denying who we are and what we want for ourselves to take up our cross and do the will of God. That's what's important. It's not about my opinion and what I want and what I think. It's not about my preferences, but it's about the word of God, what God wants. You know, it's a summons to lose your life and find a new life and ultimate joy in him. In Matthew 7, 24, it says it like this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Amen. Founded on the rock. The point that Jesus is making here is that when we build our life on Christ and on discipleship, that our obedience to his teaching is wise and it will sustain us in the challenges that we will have inevitably as we encounter life in this broken and lost world. Just as a building one's house on the foundation of rock will secure it against the forces of this broken world and the assaults that will come. And it's not if, it's when. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? But take heart, I have overcome those. Because we're going to have trouble. There's no doubt about that. And there's one more key that I want us to understand about this. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what Jesus did is he called his disciples together. And he said, look, I'm giving you a mission now. I've called you. I've taught you. I've saved you. And now it's time for you to go and make other disciples. And that's the same thing for us. It's time for us to go make other disciples. 
The point is every follower of Jesus is called to be a disciple and an equipper, helping others follow Jesus. Following Jesus also involves following his example. We follow who he is. The lessons that Jesus was teaching is so important. It's about serving one another in humility of heart and becoming a servant leader. This is critically important because the major defining characteristics of Jesus in his life was love. Jesus loved us. Jesus lived a life of love. He loved his father with his heart, his his soul, his mind, and his strength, and he loved each and every one of us. And we're called to walk with Jesus day by day, walk in our faith and our obedience by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will produce in us a Christ-likeness that we become like Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, what we've talked about, which is love, joy, peace, and patience. Those first three, the love, the joy, and the peace, that's what will happen. And then the rest will come together like that cluster of grapes as we produce fruit for the kingdom of God. So here's the question. I want to follow Jesus. I want to help others follow Jesus. So the question is, how? So how do we follow Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to tell you how. Well, first of all, we have to remember that we follow Jesus because of the gospel, because of what he's done for each and every one of us. And we do it because it's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, God's power in our lives, because God does the heavy lifting here, right? It's so many times when we witness to somebody, we think we have to do what we have to go and and go back and keep doing it. No, that's not what this is. When we witness, we tell people what Christ has done for us, what he's done in our lives. Then we tell them what he can do for you. And that's it. Then it's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict them of that. It's not our role. He's way more committed to this than we are. He loves us more than anything. But we do have a part to play. And for centuries, Christians have had a word for this part, and it's called spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, when we talk about disciplines, people get all worried, not like, oh, it's kind of like legalism, right? We have to do these things. This is not legalism. There's two quotes that helped me to get through this as I thought about that, and they're on the screen. The first one from Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. And John Ortberg said, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but training wisely. God's grace in our lives doesn't mean that we'll never put forth any effort, but what it does mean is our effort doesn't earn us anything. Our efforts don't earn us anything because we're saved by God's grace, the gospel. And Ortberg's trying to tell us that we, aren't ha- we don't have to try harder. We just need to train wisely. It's not about working harder. It's about working smarter, right? We know that from yard work and stuff like that, right? But we have to train wisely. You know, here at the church on Sundays, we give away uh, free coffee, Right? How many of you guys enjoy that coffee? It's very nice, isn't it? Well, we have a great hospitality team here that takes care of that coffee for you. They make it for you. They clean up. So you don't have to make the coffee. You don't have to pay for the coffee. You don't have to do anything except receive that free gift of that coffee, right? 
But in order for you to drink that coffee, we have to put ourselves in a position to receive that coffee, right? So how do you receive that coffee? Right here. You have to have a cup. You have to have a cup to receive that. Actually, it's a styrofoam cup. Just to let you know, because this is what we have. We have styrofoam cups here to receive that coffee. I'm going to take a drink. And spiritual disciplines are like this as well. Our salvation, our identity, who we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the power to transform us, our spiritual gifts, they're all gifts. But we have to put ourselves in a position to receive them. We have to have our cups ready to be filled. In the early church in Acts, in Acts 2.42, they did that. And it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Doing life together. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We do life together, each and every one of us. They were together and they were enjoying the fruits of being together the teachings of the Word of God, coming together in the temple courts, eating and breaking bread. We all like food, right? They were breaking bread. And now I want to introduce to you something new, and it's something old here at Calvary Chapel, and we call this the seven disciplines. And it's a tool that we hope will help you to follow Jesus. It's new because we've never said it like this before, but it's old because we aren't inventing it. This is not something that we invented. We're just doing what Christians have done for over a thousand years. So up on the screen, you'll see these seven disciplines. The first one is gather to worship. That's coming to church on the weekends and Wednesdays like you're doing. You've been so faithful to that. It's coming together corporately to worship our God, being taught the word of God. And next thing is spending time with Jesus. It's spending time in the scriptures, reading the word of God, your quiet time. I don't know how many of you have quiet time, but quiet time is so important. That time that we get to spend with Jesus, that one-on-one -on -one time. The next is connect with community, our groups. One of the things that we're very passionate about is our groups. We don't have a lot of groups right now, but we've had a lot of interest of people coming to us and asking to start new groups. So new groups are coming, but that's the focus of where we want to go. This is great. We come here corporately. We learn together. We are in fellowship together, but real life happens in those groups outside the church. So our focus is on that. And the next one is fighting for freedom, which comes from our biblical counseling and our support groups. We have biblical counseling because people are free because of what Jesus has done, but they still have chains that bind them in some areas when it comes to addictions and stuff, stuff like that. So we offer counseling, we offer support groups to help with that. And the next one is join a serve team. Our serve teams are coming in the church and serving, using the gifts that God has given each and every one of you to serve and give back to the kingdom of God for the advancement of his kingdom and for his glory. And then to live on mission, which are mission trips and our outreaches. 
When it comes to outreaches, our past, Pastor Joey does our, is our outreach pastor. And he does an amazing job with those outreaches. But we're going to be more focused on that because we want to get outside these walls. We want to get into the community and show the love of Christ. We don't want to just tell people about the love of Christ. We want to show them. We want to be the hands and feet outside these walls to show the love of Christ. So I want to encourage you to get connected in our outreaches. And the last thing is invest your resources, your time, your talent, and your money. Invest what God has given you back into his kingdom. Our goal is not for all of you to do everything all at once because that's not, that's not feasible. You know, we're all in different seasons and God has made each and every one of us differently. And if we try to do all these at once, we'll burn out. God is doing the heavy lifting. Remember that. He does the heavy lifting. But God is inviting us to walk with him. And these disciplines will help us do that. As we train and we discipline ourselves, as we pick up things in our lives and we get rid of them, remember, it's just like this tree. We have to be intentional and we have to be disciplined in our spiritual life. We have to train wisely as we follow our Lord and our Savior. And my prayer would be for you today is to just do one or two of those things. Attend service. Join a group. Do this for a season and focus on that. And as you grow, you'll walk in other areas as you grow. And over time, you'll get better at it. We each play a different role within the body of Christ. No one's relationship with Jesus looks the same. Am I correct? We're not all in the same place. Our paths, when it comes to discipleship, are different. It's different than our neighbors, and that's okay. Do not ever, I want to repeat this, do not ever compare yourself to someone else when it comes to your walk. That's your walk with Jesus, not theirs. The worst thing you can do is try to compare yourself to what somebody else is doing. It's your walk, your story. Don't ever do that. And as we discover our unique place within the body of Christ, the church is built up and it's equipped. So some of you might say, well, I'd like to serve. Well, guess what? We'll help you join a serve team. We'll get you connected there. Some of you say, I might want to learn how to have a, a personal time with the Lord, a quiet time. We'll help you with that as well. One of the ways that the church is going to connect you with that is we've developed something that's called a personal reflection tool. And you'll have the opportunity every year to use this tool to evaluate where you are prayerfully and choose some ways that you can walk forward with Jesus. We'll be rolling that out in the spring. We're still working on that. But what can you do right now? What can I do right now? Well, I want to close with these two questions. The first one is, Am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I dedicated to following Jesus together with other disciples? Am I going to church? Am I attending service? Am I serving? And the next one is, am I equipping other believers? Helping others to follow Jesus. I need you to ask yourself those questions. Some of you are brand new here. You're only a, a, a young infant in your Christian walk. So focus on being a disciple. Focus on learning and growing. Where some of you have been around for a while, right? Some of us are more mature in our walk. 
And it's our opportunity now to walk alongside with somebody, equip them to follow Jesus, to walk with him. Some steps to being disciples, spend time with Jesus in your quiet time. Join a group. Do those kind of things. Or what about helping someone else, being an equipper? Invite someone to church. Invite them to a group. Invite them to an outreach. Or what about this? What about being a group leader? We've talked about that, and that's one of the reasons that we don't have as many groups is we don't have group leaders. Well, we're willing to train you. We're going to have group leader training coming up. I want to encourage you when that comes out to sign up for. We'll train you how to be a group leader. So as we close, I want you to remind you of something. We're doing all this because we've been invited to have the greatest invitation in the world, and that's to walk with Jesus, to be his disciple. And as we walk with Jesus, we will grow and become more like him. In Psalm 84, I'm going to ask Rachel to come back up. I want to read you a couple verses in this. And Psalm 84 is is an amazing passage. It's about being with the Lord. And it says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cools its pools. And then in verse 10, it says this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The psalmist is talking about the beauty of having a relationship with God. Walking with him, accepting that invitation to walk with him. And the valley of Baca is a valley of sorrow and suffering. But as we walk through that valley, as we walk through those pains and those trials of this life, Jesus is right there with us. And Jesus will give us the joy and the peace that we need to get through that. As we walk with God, we go from strength to strength and glory to glory. And when you do this, your life becomes a blessing and you become a blessing to others. And this all happens because of the gospel. And it's because of our relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna give you an opportunity now to have that relationship with him to accept that invitation, to receive him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, and to start your walk with him. So if you bow your heads and pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life as my Lord and my Savior. I want to trust you and follow you and walk with you all the days of my life. I want you to take complete control of my life and help me to walk in your footsteps daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to produce lasting fruit in my life so that I would bring glory to you and I would be helping others to become more like Christ and advance your kingdom for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for saving me.